the way that you express who you are as a musical being and, and as a fan is by buying stuff that's actually valuable to the artist. Hey, I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Obi Fernandez, entrepreneur, NFT enthusiast, and founder CEO of Record Shop, a music NFT platform built by and for music artists. Welcome, Obi, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks, yeah, Rudy. Of Appreciate yeah, it. Of course. Um, yeah, we know you from being the founder and CEO of Record Shop, which is a NFT collectible music marketplace. Uh, it's up and coming, so I to see how it's and why it's built and the story behind it. Before we get into all that stuff in the crypto world, I'd love to know more about Obi and what was he doing even before hearing about Bitcoin or Ethereum? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm in, I'm in my late forties. I've been into in the technology field for professionally for, for close to 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very successful web development and, and, uh, design agency called hash rocket. Um, about, I started about 12 plus years ago and, and ended up selling it. And around that time, I wrote a book called The Rails Way, which is considered the Bible of Ruby on Rails development. Nice. Ruby on Rails is one of the, the major frameworks used for, for custom website or web application development. So that was kind of one of, that was like my, my first kind of significant claim to fame. Congrats. Sort of deal. And then I, um, I, sold, I sold that and I've been involved in a number of different uh, entrepreneurial kind of ventures uh, ever since. Um, including a, a very large one uh, that, that worked out pretty well called Andela, uh, which some of your, your viewers may have heard of. Um, it, it now operates in over 80 countries around the world. But when we started out, uh, we had a pretty audacious goal, which was to train 100,000 young Africans to be world-class software developers. Nice. And um, I had a bunch of Nigerian co-founders and uh, I was the CTO and, and uh, was there in 2014 and 2015 as, as we were very rapidly growing and became the, the largest uh, VC back startup in, in Africa. Wow. Congrats on that, too. That's, that's, thanks, man. That's awesome. so, so, yeah, it's, it, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a stranger to, to pretty big, you know, kind of ambitious, revolutionary idea, ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's one of the reasons that. Uh, that crypto's uh, appealing, you know, and, and given the amount of time I've been in, in, you know, working on web applications and stuff, like basically since the mid nineties, uh, got involved in, in, in programming and I was one of the first people to do Java. I've seen a lot of technological revolutions and, yeah, but... um, I know that when there's a chance to catch a big wave, you, you go for it. And so was that yeah. always like growing up as a child, was it always in your like realm, like tech, building something on your own entrepreneurship, like always kind of finding uh, carving your own path. So, yeah, you know, I had a lemonade stand as, as a kid, grew up in the eighties, you know, and, and a working class neighborhood. My dad was very entrepreneurial. So I kind of got it from him. You know, he, he sold encyclopedias. He sold vacuum cleaners. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. You it's, know, a lot, a lot of that sort of, you know, he sold real estate. Um, in the eighties and, and New Jersey. And that, that was, um, 
that was probably the most lucrative years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the oldest of five kids. So, you know, normally uh, money was kind of tight. So, I, I mean, I, I grew up having to work for, you know, for whatever my, you yeah. know, whatever I wanted to get. So, I mean, I worked, I worked all sorts of jobs. I worked as a, I worked as a DJ, which will, you know, we'll talk about momentarily, but I mean, I, I installed car stereos and alarms. Uh, I also did my fair share of selling stuff. Yeah, I sold long distance credit cards. I sold beepers. Um, it's the real entrepreneur. I had, grind. I, had a, I had a hookup on wholesale boots. So I used <laughs> to go to, to Union City, New Jersey, to Bergen line and sell like, uh, you know, work boots out of the trunk of my car. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I did a lot of things. I worked janitorial. I, I had a window washing business. Uh, I shoveled snow, cut lawns. I love that. That's, that's yeah. such a good, like uh backbone to have too, especially in starting any company, because like for me, I was also, like, I've done things like you know, shoveling snow, even like repairing gaming consoles, like Xboxes and Nintendo Wii's and all that stuff. I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I know how to fix these things. Hopefully someone in my school want it fixed and like sooner than later you find out like, yeah. Oh wow, people need this as a service and branching out I, from there. I feel like some people, some people have that spark and you know, some people don't, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, obviously the, the, the world is getting more and more competitive in terms of uh, how you add value and, and how it can pay off. Exactly. So, so during this, this time, like you're at, you're building working different odd jobs, building your own businesses, uh, being in the tech industry, you're definitely really close to all the latest news of what's happening. Um, yeah, especially even seeing like the internet.com boom happen. When did you, when did you first, um, was that the first one? (laughs) Yeah. The first one. When, when did you first hear about cryptocurrency and was it, through a friend or just like online how'd you and how'd you feel when you first heard it um yeah i probably i I probably heard about it first through hacker news i would assume and um it's funny you mentioned hacker news i feel like now they just don't even want to deal with crypto a lot of no yeah it's it's ironic how far they've they've, that community has turned against it but at the time it was a lot more Mm open-minded I don't know for sure where, where I heard about it, but I, you know, the, I'm, I've been to Burning Man proper like four times and I've been to more regional burns than I, than I remember Alchemy and Euphoria in the Southeast and like kind of all over the place. So I'm, I'm in with a lot of, you know, the kind of burner subcultures and uh, buying, buying uh, diverse illicit substances on, on, Silk Road and other dark markets was was definitely a big thing. So, you know, that was kind of my first exposure to to holding, to, to procuring Bitcoin and using it. And, uh, you know, just like probably some of your other guests, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I think I think back to you know kind of and the kind of Bitcoins I had, you know, the amount of Bitcoins I had at certain times. Yeah, and that's during those years. And you know, what would have happened if I had just tucked some away just for shits and giggles? I've- um, I, I remember, I, I remember it rallying at some point and I, you know, and I was up like 40, 50 X, I think, wow. and you know, with what I did have and it was, I hadn't even bought it as an investment. I just, it was just, yeah, had spiked and, um, and I sold it and I was like, you know, just patting myself on the back. <laughs> 
because I was because I was so happy uh, about and, and I, I think I may have cleared like thirty forty thousand dollars. That's in, awesome. I mean, it's you know uh, in profit, which is not it's not that much now in, in, in retrospect, but at the time it was like just free internet money. You, know? you didn't know back then what was going to happen with it. You couldn't have known. No, yeah, you, you, yeah, I could, couldn't have known, and unfortunately, uh, did not feel. It, you know, felt like I had, I could put that money to better uses and other things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's like the yeah most common story too, is just mm-hmm. people like playing around with Bitcoin because yeah, hearing friends using it for whatever, and then yeah. having so much of it, trading it at Mount Gox, uh, getting burned from that, wishing yeah. they held everything. So it's, uh, it's the most common starting you know, point for a lot of people, including myself. Like I remember, I mean, for me, it was like when I was in high school, so I didn't have any, any money and I couldn't even buy any, but I was like into tech. So I just kept watching Bitcoin and seeing what it was doing just because I was into it. Um, but yeah, I definitely wish I had like some type of miners running. <laughs> you know, speak, speaking of miners, actually my, my son, who's now 22, almost 23, um, at the time that Dogecoin came out, oh yeah, we, uh, I, I thought it was hysterical. And, and at that time he was, we're, we're a Mac family, but he was begging me for a PC. Um, and I said, if you, if I, if I get you a PC, I'm going to get you parts and you're going to put it together yeah. the way God intended, <laughs> you know? And, and he was down with that. I mean, he's kind of geeky. He's actually a software engineer. He graduated from Georgia nice. tech and works on Microsoft now. So, I mean, he was definitely already kind of following my footsteps. Uh, so he was down with it and we researched parts and CPU and memory and drives and all this stuff. And he, of course, he wanted it for gaming. So he wanted like a really, really bad top of the line. Yeah. Top of the line graphics card. And, you know, it was like four or $500 at least. And I was like, the only way that I'm going to, I'm going to give you that money to buy such an expensive graphics card is if you mine with it and we had discussed the whole dogecoin thing because we thought it was hysterical and he said all right i'll i'll run it as a mining rig and do dogecoin and he figured out how to do it and then he put the rig together and i, I saw pictures i was looking at them the other day from, <laughs> uh, you know and and he, he he put this big rig together and he was mining dogecoin and he got quite a bit but he was doing it through a pool uh so they took some yeah. and and he after a few months the pool got hacked and he lost everything he had and he got he got pissed off and and didn't didn't do anymore <sighs> but it was like he also has a story of how much he would have oh, poor guy shoot and that's like yeah you're probably he's probably mining tens of thousands back yeah. then that yeah, was crazy it was right right in the very beginning uh, yeah. i've had i have a friend who did the same thing but i think he sold it all a long time ago so yeah. well yeah he probably would have <laughs> sold it as well so. uh, I, I you know i wonder how many people that that applies to it must be an order of magnitude more than people absolutely because you right? never you only hear the really awesome successful stories or the really really bad stories but there's so mm-hmm. many people in between that just shit happened to him. Like, ah, fuck it. Like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> like, not going to mention it again. But I definitely, I mean, I got a, I got a Coinbase account when I, when it came out. And I mean, I had a number of different random purchases over the years and I kept up with it. And significantly, I got into crypto kids oh, nice. when that launched. Not in a huge way or anything, because I was just too busy with other stuff. But 
I got a few and I played around with them and I braided some. And um, I, I was consul- I was consulting CTO at the time. And my client, one of the founders at, uh, at the company I was consulting, I really got into it. He loved it. He thought it was the most hysterical, fucking <laughs> funny thing ever. And he wouldn't stop talking about it. And that kind of that kind of propelled me to to pay a little more attention to it because he's he got yeah. into it and it was the first time that he was using MetaMask or anything like that. So I kind of gave him a crash course. How to get safely use that. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of propelled, I got to send him a thanks for that. His name is Max. But anyway, um, that was cool because as a programmer, you know, I kind of started putting together, it got my gears turning about, Oh, this is, this is pretty sweet. Uh, One of the, one of the projects I worked like in the mid, in the mid two thousands was, um, like little AI friends, kind of, kind of like Tamagotchis, but like mm-hmm. characters that would, um, that you would interact with on your computer. And I was thinking, Oh, it'd be cool if you could have like these characters represented as NFTs, you could sell them, like live on the blockchain and all that stuff. And I was like really, really into kind of the possibilities of the EVM and, and whatnot. So it just like sparked, it was a little spark that never went away. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't actually like delve into it. I had other things going on. But it was always in the back of my mind that there would be something, that there was something there. And then uh, um, around, like towards the end of uh, 2020, I was kind of looking for something to do. So I, 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 I part own a, a consulting agency now called mm-hmm. Magna Labs. And, and the economy has been going gangbusters, you know, during the pandemic for consulting and stuff like that. So we were like super oversold and I'm kind of the guy who does the sales for them and whatnot. So I was super not busy. So I was like working on music and, um, making an album and stuff like that. But I was really bored and there's like no live gigs and everything. I got tired of, I got, you know, I had been doing some Twitch Mm -hmm. streaming, but I got tired of that. And I was looking for a startup and I started working on a concept called spin FT, which was, uh, send, send us your vinyl. We'll put it in a vault. Like we'll grade it and classify it and, and put it in a vault and give you an NFT that represents that particular piece Ah. of vinyl. So, okay. Physical piece with digital Um, piece. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like a, a digital derivative of the Mm -hmm. physical item in a vault, you know, kind of using the the vinyl itself is a store of value and and the the reason i was thinking along these lines because i got like 27 boxes of vinyl sitting in a garage in atlanta that i've collected over the years like basically my my djing collection from way back and i when i relocated to mexico in 2017 i wasn't able to take it with me it was like mm-hmm. too big and heavy and it's been sitting there ever since it's probably rotting because it's, <laughs> it's not a dry garage you know, and I've, I've been really annoyed about it. And I was like, man, if I could just send this for safekeeping and have it have a way of buying and selling it in the way that you buy and sell vinyl on Discogs, which is the main place where you do that. Because the problem is on Discogs has a thriving, very liquid market for vinyl, but you have to physically send the vinyl, Mm -hmm. which is a pain (laughs) in the ass. I mean, like you want to be sending stuff through the post. That's that's what MP3s are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, essentially. So, so that's kind of where it started snowballing. So, I very quickly figured out that that was not what I actually wanted to work on, 
and that that was right around February. And I was in a lot of clubhouse discussions at the time. Oh, yeah, was was like a, and I was I was in a lot of discussions kind of about the future of music and people were starting to talk about music NFTs. And uh, I was watching what was going on with NBA Top Shot. And I was like, I could be the one to do this. Like I got I got the right yeah. mix of uh, investors and, you know, technical chops and and you know network of people and stuff like that so just start working nice. on that and on the so, vision for that so it sounds like the whole blockchain industry just kind of made sense to you the whole technology behind it using it as a currency using it as a means of data ownership and transferring data that that didn't come off as odd to you did it no that that didn't come off as odd to me and wanting to have uh you know store value i i i've got i like i've totally gotten the i've I've understood and appreciated the value of bitcoin as a as a store of value since mm-hmm. the beginning um you know being being in atlanta and being surrounded by um you know, i wouldn't call myself a libertarian at all but being surrounded by libertarians and kind of influenced to some degree yeah. or another you know it's kind of like I get, it. <laughs> I get yeah, it makes sense. You know, like, like I, 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 I get why you would want your money to not be inflated away. You know, your, your, your buying mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like I also see, I also see the other side, you know, where the government needs economic levers and things like that. So I get it. It also does not seem like a panacea, you yeah. know, to me to go back to those kinds to that kind of economy. So I would not consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist in any way. Um, but I kind of alluded to this earlier um, in the beginning, like it's, it's a significant sea change and it's a significant technology for sure. So regardless of the ideology or the politics or the motivations of the players, the fact that it's happening and that it exists and it's real presents opportunities, you know, many different opportunities. And I've seen that happen over and over again in different ways, sometimes big, sometimes small. Um, and I owe a lot of the success in my career to yeah. it. So I'm not retired <laughs> yet. Like why would why wouldn't why wouldn't I jump on it? It's like the biggest thing of my generation. Exactly. Yeah. And it definitely is because it's slowly becoming what we use daily, or I hope so. I mean, it's like I never I mean I can almost like think about the years I've been talking about Bitcoin to like friends and family mm-hmm. or coworkers, whoever it is. And Early on, everyone's like, what are you talking about? You sound mad. You're crazy. Okay, this is silly. Yeah, it's going to become this price, but it's going to go back down. It's like the, the, the humor part of it for the mainstream is like dwindling down and it's, taken, it's being taken more seriously as like, oh, this is actually becoming a viable product. Let's put, yeah. our, let's put money into it or people into it. So it just, it's wild watching that happen live. Yeah. And it, it, it introduces, you know, it, it gives you the ability to, to tackle some really, really ambitious business problems and be taken seriously. Right. Like, you know, people give you money. I I, from the very beginning, when I started record shop, I was like, music business is completely fucked. This is an opportunity to completely Mm -hmm. change it. Right. (laughs) And you know, if you weren't, Saying that in a crypto frame, good luck. Like they're they're the chances of someone like just you shutting know, you down. Uh, 
funding that mm-hmm. or, or sell to none. Um, but but you you say, well, yeah, we're going to use blockchain technology to do it. And then people's ears perk up and they're like, oh, good. because it's understood that in, the, in these times of change, it, it's entirely possible to, you know, that's something like that could happen. Like, like many, many of the people hold, holding the purse strings, right? Those investors, they saw what happened in the 90s and the early 2000s with, with the Internet. Exactly. And there's like, that's the thing when you say I'm using blockchain tech and it's also saying there's nothing you can do to stop it because it is on the blockchain and it's permissionless. So it, right. it's going to happen one way or another and it's all up to the community and the people to actually make it happen. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, my, one of my favorite things about it. So how did you get into creating record shop? What was the origin story behind that? So like, I, like I mentioned earlier, like it's, it seemed like there was a good opportunity and like, I might be the, uh, you know, kind of at the right place at the right time with the, with the right people. And given, you know, given that I had, I've raised venture capital multiple times and, and even, you know, had some successful outcomes. So I was able to, to raise kind of the initial equity for the startup pretty easily. Nice. I recruited my best friend, Nate, as CTO. He just had the timing, is, you know, happened to be good. We've been childhood, we were best friends since childhood. That's awesome. 40 years at this point, both programmers and have wanted to work on something together for a long time. And, um, my my co-founder Paula is um, she has fifteen plus years as an artist manager and, and involved in electronic music events. And her partner Rich Solarstone is uh, one of one of the most well known and well loved uh, DJ producers in, in trance music, which is like a subgenre mm-hmm. of EDM. So uh, uh, they they run a label called Pure Trance, and they had put out some of my music. So, uh, they were one of the first people I talked to and Paul in particular is Dutch and, and, you know, the Dutch kind of have a reputation, a well-earned reputation for, for being very blunt and very realistic <laughs> and, and whatnot. So I was like, if I can convince Paula, then I can probably convince anyone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she thought it was, she thought it was a terrible idea for like a good two hours and like told me why. Uh, but after, after about after about two hours, I was on a long drive back from Guadalajara airport to my house in Colima, Mexico. And, uh, during that call, I kind of turned her around and the light bulb, I, I could sense that the light bulb was starting to go off and she was starting to go, what about this? What about that? And what if we do this? And what if we do that? And like, by the end of the call, she was, she was really like, Oh wow. Like possibilities are pretty staggering. So she, she slept on it. And the next day she was like, Oh man, I, I could barely sleep. I was so excited. <laughs> So she agreed to come on as a co-founder and kind of work with me on it. And from there, we just started recruiting a team. And, and um, we initially, we were, I don't know if you've heard of Stacks, but we were a very good friend of mine named Trevor, kind of runs their accelerator. So I was talking to him about doing record shop on Stacks, which is a side, is kind of a side chain for, for Bitcoin that lets you, you know, has a smart contract okay. kind of layer. And, um, eventually kind of found out about, I mean, I knew about flow and I knew about Dapper labs, but like yeah. when I finally talked to them and we got the pin, pitch on cadence and we realized we wouldn't have to deal with any of the proof of work baggage, you know, PR baggage and yeah. that they were far along, you know, it, it 
having the most successful at the time NFT platform, you know, in NBA Top Shot was was a pretty compelling argument to, to go with them. Plus they shared something that's very fundamental to my design philosophy for Record Shop, which is that I'm much, much more interested in trying to get millions of mainstream users to use Record Shop than I am in just grabbing some crypto people that you know, I think it's cool. Yeah. And trying to do a pump and dump scheme on it or something. They actually, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said it. I wasn't, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to say it, but you know, it's, it, it, it's just the short-term thinking pervade. I think it's probably safe to say short-term thinking mm-hmm. pervades, you know, uh, NFTs and crypto in general. And then if you're trying to do something revolutionary, that's going to take years. It's not compatible with that kind of mindset. Absolutely. And that's, like I love, you know, the NFT community. I think there's a lot of good that can come from it, especially you know helping our artists, creating a community that works together. But a lot of it is seemingly the same. Here's ten thousand images that can <laughs> promise you a community that will work on generating more money for you for holding it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, what else do you do other than just trying to generate money for holders and increasing the value of it? Where's the public good? Where's the usefulness? in the mainstream other than creating more dollars. Yeah. I mean, the, the majority of the projects operate in some, you know, on Ponzi kind of dynamics and you look at that and you go, and I, I think any rational person that looks at that just kind of wonders how long it might go on. Mm-hmm. You it know, reminds me of ICOs. They, they, might, they might still play in it, right? Because it doesn't mean there's not money to be made, but, um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. You know, I'm not hungry. I'm not doing this to make money. I'm doing this to make a significant impact and leave a legacy. Right. That's exactly it. That's, that's what we need it's, more of. Well, <laughs> it's um, it's and it, you know, it, it's more compelling too mm-hmm. because it comes across right. Like we, we were at this point, we have like 200 signed exclusive deals with with some pretty legendary, oh, awesome. uh, music acts and brands and record labels. And I think the reason that we've been able to do that is because our heart's in the right place, right? Like a lot of us are musicians ourselves, actually, at Record Shop. Um, so we're kind of building it to scratch our own itch. Mm-hmm. But it, when you're involved with people whose only aim is to get rich or make money, like it, you can usually tell, right? Like even if they're saying otherwise, yeah. their actions kind of betray. Yeah, actions speak pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. You know, sometimes I shit on those kind of people online. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to tone it down a little bit because I realized I'm just pissing off some people that, you know, could legitimately uh, be fans of the concept. And mm-hmm. you know, humans are complex beings. And, Absolutely. You know, I'd be hypocritical if I said, you know, there were there haven't been times in my life where money was the main motivator. You know, for something I was doing. Yeah, and I think that's a key thing. It's not to say that money is not a good motivator or not a motivator for people in general. Everyone needs money in this day and age to sort of survive. You don't, it's hard to survive without it. And it's definitely a good influence on the job you choose and the career path you take and things that you do. But it's just that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like one of the, I, I, I'm not sure why your podcast is called wholesome crypto, but I'll, I'll go on a limb. Yeah you know, without going like full Jordan Peterson or, or whatever, <laughs> like there, there's a reason, there's a reason that avarice and greed are generally considered negative personality traits. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and bad parts of humanity. And um, one of the challenging things about being in crypto is that there's these subcurrents of avarice and greed. And they, you know, they get subverted into some sort of weird pagan prosperity gospel, (laughs) you know, where everyone's going to get rich. You just have to say the right things and, you know, follow the the right rituals. And it does feel like a fucking religion (laughs) at times, you know, Twitter is church and you got to give testimony and you got to say good morning every morning, you know, (laughs) testify about how you made it, you know. Yeah. Or how you think we're all going to make it, you know, whatever the case may be. And uh, I was actually raised in a cultish religion uh, called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Some of your listeners might be familiar with uh, you or you might even be familiar with. I don't know, but it, it's uh, Catholicism, but close enough. <laughs> yeah. But, it, it, you know, like having been raised in that and then left it at, at a fairly young age, I was just kind of repulsed by. um you know, the, the pressure to conform and like, you know, how you can get excluded if you're, you know, if you're not aligned with the right thinking or, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so just generally get turned off by cultish elements and, 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 and that's, a, it, it is a technology, right? So like, <laughs> you know, there's many, many different ways to exploit a technology, like Absolutely. You know, bringing dogma into it. Absolutely. And I've actually mentioned that before where like it, I think I wrote an article about how dogmatic crypto can become to some people. And, and one of the things I love about crypto is that it taught me so many different elements of how humans work, how political policies work, money works, how economy works, how the game theory works. It's like, wow, this is all these things put together in one. And it's kind of showing like, this is a permissionless technology that anyone can use however they like. So if there's any, cult out there that wants to use it they can we can't stop them there's any freedom activists that want to use it they can use it if if yeah. someone who wants to do good with it like uh, public goods they can use it make music nfts with it you can it's yeah crypto isn't biased or polar or anything it's it's free for anyone to use and the people that's why it's called the wholesome crypto it's the people behind it mm-hmm. i want to know the people behind that are building these projects who they are and why they're doing what they're doing and my favorite part is because they're trying to make an impact a good impact positive impact yeah uh, and I, I think there's so much more to go like I, I i think we're still at the very earliest stages you know still building the horse the horseless carriages mm-hmm. that sort of thing I, th- I think we're starting to see glimpses of you know what could be possible in terms of like like for instance, if you, you know, if, if we still have a few more minutes, yeah, play to play to earn is kind of one of my favorite things to to criticize nowadays. And it's funny because I've been influenced, but you know, by some play to earn thinking. But the fact that it's a grind, yeah, or that you're trying to you know turn some sort of video game into something, essentially, where where it falls down for me is that the activity that the humans playing to earn are doing is a useless activity. <laughs> There's no value creation going on. Right. Absolutely. And, and the fact that that is still able to yield something feels to me like it's a Ponzi that will, that, that has a ticking, you know, a ticking clock it's for, uh, on an expiration date on it. And, and I, I hate to throw shade at any particular project because I know every project has its nuance, 
but but the the biggest shade I can throw out is that it feels like a horseless carriage, right? It says feels like oh, video games. People love playing video games. How can we make playing video games profitable? Can't make can't make playing video games profitable. Like, <laughs> well, this, you know, yeah. I mean, there's some science fiction ways. I forget what book it was in. Ready Player One or something. No, 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 no. That that was kind of like a metaverse as a fun place, mm-hmm. right? Like place where you you go to blow off steam. But there's um, it might have been a Neil Stevenson book, or I can't I can't remember. But there was uh, there there was this. It was like a a future sci like a sci fi sort of thing where. I think it was airport security or like anti-terrorist kind of monitoring sort of stuff mm-hmm. was done by players on the internet playing uh, a game where they had to identify the people that look suspicious. Mm-hmm. And they had like all this metadata about, you know, stuff That's, and whatnot. They like gamified the experience of security. Wow. It's, you know, <laughs> That's an interesting concept. It's kind of mind blowing probably some civil liberty concerns there probably some dystopian aspects to it but i think that some of the technologies that we're seeing emerge enable what I, what i like to call work as play mm-hmm. kind of um possibilities so the way that work as play manifests on record shop is that there are there are roles within the music industry which are interesting valuable roles so like for instance uh a and r which is the the people that look you know that scout for talent and help develop talent and marketing street teams which is people go out and create hype and like you know let people know about events and things like that and we think we can actually gamify the experience of doing that online in these novel ways that kind of are kind of metaversey and are definitely enabled by ownership aspects of it, you know, of NFTs, but, but they, they, you're providing value. You're, you're not just speculating. You're yeah. not just buying a thing, hoping that the line goes up. You're, you're doing a service for another human being <laughs> or for humanity in some way, right? Let's say it's uncovering new talent or curation. Mm-hmm. And then the result of that work is something of tangible value that happens to be represented as an NFT or happens to be backed with an NFT, which means it's, it's liquid. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning you can, you can sell it. And to me, that's that trends utopian, right? Like that has utopian possibilities because if it's all on the internet and there's all, you know, there's good liquid markets for these kinds of things, it opens up the ability to have fun with your work across the entire world. Right. It doesn't matter where you are as long as you have an internet connection. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, you know, people, people in the global South, people in developing countries, you know, kind of have a, a somewhat level playing field when it comes to, to being able to participate in some of these, and these value creation loops. Yeah. Exactly. That's like the beautiful thing with the internet. It's slowly leveling a playing field for developed and non-developed countries. Yeah, I'm glad to see how much more this community is developing in terms of being able to bring more public goods, like different companies like Gitcoin, they're working on, you know, providing open source software opportunity to be funded by the community. A lot of people that I've been talking to recently also have been working on giving back to the community by using the, whatever income they get from their projects to help other developers be able to develop their own projects. 
And as we're in this industry, I definitely do want to know. I mean, crypto is a 24-7 industry. You run your company off of crypto. But how does Obi take his time off of crypto? How, what do you do on the side? What do you do for fun? How do you let go? If you do, maybe, you know, some people uh, say they're 24-7 to crypto. No, actually, actually I, 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 um, I mean, I, I, I'm a music artist. I, I produce electronic music. I'm working on a debut artist album that I started during the pandemic and before I started record shop and it's, it's over 50% on. So yeah, I tend to, I tend to just duck into the studio when I can to blow off steam and, and kind of make progress on that or, or DJ. Like I was at Cancun music week. We had some panels uh, lined up about NFTs and music and um, I got a chance to DJ. I ended up DJing a pool party for about three and a half hours. Wow. That's pretty fun. At a resort in Cancun. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I've been a DJ since I was a teenager and, you know, it, it's one of my favorite things to, to do. So nice, but, but it's good to, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm, I'm, I feel blessed to, to be able to work on something that combines my passions, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're giving other artists an opportunity to get themselves a chance to show off who they really are, especially if they don't have the opportunity to show their music off anywhere else. So I think it's a, yeah, I, th- I think it's just like in terms of uh, music NFTs in particular, the the whole industry has kind of been broken in, in substantial ways as far as people being able to make money from their music. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that, that it's a genie that's out of the bottle and it's not coming back. <laughs> but, um, you know, for a lot of us, that's kind of that's a future that's kind of hard to contemplate because it, it mean, it, if it if the only music that makes money is, is pop, you know, is pop music, then it means that everything else that's not pop music is kind of relegated to a hobby level, you know? Yeah. And that's like the mainstream, but I feel like especially EDM has become a lot more accepted and you like, I don't know, maybe cause I'm living in the city area again, but the EDM scenes like, growing people are going it's yeah, awesome the, to see. EDM, the, the edm scene is strong but even within edm you know there's there's commercially successful edm yeah, true. and pop stars you know who are virtually indistinguishable from any other pop star mm-hmm. and there's underground music and the experimentation and the progress and the really interesting stuff is generally at the fringes uh where commercialization is not a concern but those artists still need to, you know, they still need to make money. I mean, somehow it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but it's just helpful if they can make some money so that they don't have to fucking drive an Uber or something. (laughs) You know know what I mean? Like there's so much, there's so much music that gets produced by artists who have to have like a regular day job and which is soul sucking and exhausting and doesn't like kind of let them give their, their best. And like, I actually saw examples of artists who have been successful in their careers and have in some cases, millions of fans, uh, that were running out of money during pandemic cause they couldn't tour, you know, wow. sell, selling equipment. I mean, the worst case scenario, I heard of someone that was actually almost out in the street. So, you know, like it, the bar is pretty low in terms of improving that situation. 
And well, so th- as people, I guess, for listeners here, you know, what would be a good way to find and listen and contribute to this to up and coming artists versus listening to your radio or whatever's on top hit Spotify? Well, the, the fundamentally, I mean, you know, certainly you could, you could check out record shop and, and I know it's kind of hard to figure out how to spell it without bells, but you can just type record shop the way that it sounds recordshop.com into the browser and it'll come up. Um, and we're, we're doing our, our part, you know, on record shop, but in general, what the, the, the good fight that we're fighting is the fight against passive music consumption. So if you're, if you're truly, you know, if you truly consider yourself a music fan, just recognize that what the big platforms like YouTube and Spotify want is to commodify music. Like they want you to think about music in terms of playlists and moods and yeah. you know, algorithms and, you know, oh, I'm going to, I want to listen to workout music or dinner party music. And the reason they want to do that is not your convenience. It's their profit lines. Because the, you know, especially in the case of Spotify, who's been, who's been identified as using ghost producers in order to, you know, and podcasting and stuff to try to get people to listen to less music that they pay royalties on, you know, because it's better for their bottom line. Yeah. Like, like, you know, lo-fi hip hop, um, you know, some of the ambient stuff that they do, like they actually use corporate ghost writers that they don't have to pay royalties to. And then they dilute the the amount of money that they pay out their their royalty streams because they get to keep more of it just you know if you're a music fan and you care about the well-being of artists and stuff like that just just think about how your own consumption habits affect the people who make that music that, that you care about um but that said i mean that really you know fighting against that really is like trying to boil the ocean and part of because it, it is convenient and it's going to be with us for a long time and, and you know so, you know, what, what we're trying to do at Record Shop is not to change that consumer behavior or take away your streaming or whatever. We just want to make streaming more like FM radio, mm-hmm. right? And like, and you're, you're probably a little too young to, you know, to recognize exactly what I'm talking about. But like, back, you know, 30 years ago, you didn't buy every single freaking CD that came out <laughs> that you like of the music you liked you bought CDs of your favorite, you know, your favorite artists because you wanted to listen to that music over and over again, or have the special experience of having the booklet that came in the CD or the liner notes that came inside of the vinyl or whatever the case may be, or you wanted to put the record up on your wall or on your shelf, or you wanted your friends to be able to look at your collection. It was an expression of who you were, but you still listened to the radio, right? Like when you were in the car or when you just wanted passive music consumption, right? You didn't want to think about what you were putting on. And and like, we want streaming to be FM radio of today's generation mm-hmm. where it is sure it's a dominant way that you listen to music in the car or whatever, when you're cooking or working out. But when you're the way that you express who you are as a musical being and, and as a fan is by buying stuff that's actually valuable to the artist. Yeah. And I, I never thought of it that way either. Cause again, I'm not a musical person. And I do remember uh, buying CDs of artists that I did love and 
And mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, look at this album cover. I, could, I used to read every, like the 12 yeah. songs that were on it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like I feel people, people treat uh, People treat music NFTs that way. Like they tell us all the time. That's awesome. They'll, get, they'll, they'll mention it in Discord or, or in some cases they'll even write to me directly and be like, oh, this is so cool. That's a good feeling. Uh, on our service when we, when we launched was like, oh, I just bought a pack. And I spent about 45 minutes listening to every single song. It felt like Christmas morning when I got some CDs. That's amazing. So that, that makes me want to ask the uh, final question of what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Something that warmed your heart in the crypto industry. In the crypto industry. Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll pick an obvious moment. I, I, I mean, we, we've distributed at this point, we're about to send out new checks, but um, we've distributed over 600,000 in, in revenue to, uh, you know, to our affiliated artists and the amount of gratitude we've gotten from some of them, mm-hmm. you know, cause it like really made big, big differences. Like I know one of our artists was able to buy a car that they needed, wow. you know, another artist, uh, redid their studio. Um, you know, there, there's some artists that have been able to pay bills and rents and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it does make a difference. There are possibilities to make really, really good, positive, wholesome, to use your word, you know, kind of <laughs> impacts in people's lives. It's not just about getting rich or helping the rich get richer. I mean, there's certainly music NFT uh, platforms and stuff where what they're doing is with pop artists, with people, with artists that are already famous. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yay, I just, you know, I just helped this rapper make like, you know, Ten twenty million dollars more, you know. Hallelujah! <laughs> they didn't need the money. You know, it's yeah, just, it's just a money grab, and it's fine. I don't, I don't actually fault. I want to make that very, very clear. I don't actually fault anyone for doing a money grab. Like, if it's there if it's for there, you, if yeah. it's there, grab it. Why not? You know, like as long as you're not stealing it or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that for some of us that are maybe have been around a little bit longer or in a different stage in our lives, you know, like maybe we already have enough money or maybe we have already done, you know, some of the money motivated things. And now what we're looking to do is just kind of, you know, leave a mark, you know, or make a difference or work on something more, more significant. But for me, the thing with Andela was, was really kind of a big life-changing thing. You know what I mean? Like I saw, I saw what was possible, you know, kind of, it's kind of like venture at its best, right? Like my, 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 um, venture capital at its best, right? Like sometimes venture capital is kind of shitty, but, <laughs> but, um, my, the CEO of Andela, Jeremy, he had a previous exit with a company that went public. And so he parlayed that into a pretty crazy idea, right? But the thing, the thing with, with VCs is if you've already had an exit, they're very likely to just rubber stamp whatever you're, the next thing you, you want to do is, right? Yeah. It's just the way it works. So he, you know, he got together with our Nigerian co-founders and they, and they came up with this wacky idea of like, hey, Africa could be, you know, could leapfrog India as like the place where there's all these genius programmers. Yeah. Um, because the, the pool of talent there is so untapped, right? Cause there's so little opportunity there and yet there's so many brilliant people and I got involved and I actually spent time in Nigeria and I just saw how transformational 
money applied the right way it could be, right? Like it was in their faces. It was like these young people, they were all kind of in their 20s. They were all so, you know, kind of ambitious and grateful and, the, and like in the best ways, you know, like, like they got it and they were giving it their all, right? And it was rewarding the ones with the most grit and, and perseverance. So I know, it's, I know it's kind of diverging from crypto, yeah. but, but, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they're knowing that there are such deep pockets, you know, amongst some people that hold crypto bags, you know, I know that there's a lot of potential to do good. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of potential to make, to do transformational things. Actually, you know what, what, uh, was a very warm moment. I'll give some love yeah, tell and, me. and props and respect to, to someone who, who may not always get it, uh, who is Medicoven. So Medicoven's a big investor in record shop. He's the one that bought the people artwork. Oh, okay. I know, there was, I know there was some controversy around the people artwork, but when I, I actually got together with, with Medicoven and Tubador in Mexico city, and we were able to hang out for a few days and I got to know them pretty well. And one of the things that really, really warmed my heart is that the, the reason they invested in sound token, which is our, our utility token that we've done a private sale for is that they want, like, he wants to make a dramatic impact in underserved communities, like developing nation music communities. So he told me that the reason he was buying the token was not to flip it. The reason he was buying the token is to give it to music artists so that they could mint on record shop. That's awesome. That's, you know, so there you go. I mean, I, I guess that's the kind of thing you're talking about. If I understand you correctly. I mean, it's just, yeah, sh- share what's good to you, you know, and I, and it is, it's yeah. awesome that he's doing that. And I'm excited to like see how record shop grows and keeps continuing because you know, this, this industry is kind of new to me, music industry. I'm not that familiar with it. And you've definitely you know, opened my eyes a lot and I appreciate cool, that. So. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for having me on the show, man. Yeah. It's, um, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work. It's an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. A lot of ways. And, um, you know, it seems like we're going into, you know, kind of a bear cycle and stuff like that. So it's a time to grow or develop. I mean, it's time to develop here. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's a lot of potential, but yeah, man, awesome to meet you. I'd love the concept of the show. Thank and you. Hopefully you can have me back sometime. Oh, for sure. And then, um, thank you for joining me and uh, I love what you're building and I can't wait to have you on again with the next thing that's, <laughs> that's happening in your life. Cool. Appreciate that, Rudy. Thank you, Obi.